Hi to all. Well, we're here today to do an Education International podcast on teacher accountability. So I'd just like to introduce you and um, let the audience know what the podcast is about, and then we'll get into the business itself. So, Tor Sorensen is somebody who's been writing pieces for us here at Education International for about the past year. He's done a piece on EGRA, and he's also done a stunning piece about value-added measures, which has been widely disseminated and has created waves around the world. So, I'm Martin Henry, I'm the research coordinator here at Education International, and I'd like to pass over to Tor to open up the topic, which has many doors and windows, around the question, so what do you think the term accountability means? Well, thanks a lot, Martin. I'm happy to be here and discuss with you. I think that when we are discussing teacher accountability, the first issue is to clarify what do we mean? Whom are we speaking about in which context? It's a very slippery term. The very term can be used in various ways, and it's related to professional autonomy, it's related to curriculum, it's related to assessment. So therefore, first of all, we should ask accountability towards whom? Colleagues, students, parents, politicians, the media? There is the emphasis. One important term is definitely professional accountability, and I'm sure we'll get back to that. Well, can I just interrupt you there for a mm-hmm. sec, Because this idea of professional and professionalism mm-hmm. is very important to us here at EI. Mm-hmm. So I would like you to delve into that a little bit further. When you talk about accountability and professionalism, what's the relationship you're referring to? Well, these years and in the past decade, there's, as you are very well aware, an increasingly global policy debate on teacher quality, quality teaching, and because of that, teacher accountability and how teachers should be held accountable has been very much debated in line with that debate. And for me, and I believe also for, for people in EI, the, a key question is, who has a say in determining what teacher accountability means and how are teachers held accountable for their work? I mean, that's basically a democratic and, and political question, and it relates to professional autonomy professional accountability, are teachers involved, are teachers' unions involved in negotiating, the ongoing negotiation of what is this slippery term meant to mean in a particular context? I think as well you've referred to quality teaching and that is also a very slippery term. At EI here we like to talk about quality education as opposed to quality teaching Mm -hmm. because of dichotomies within the discourse. Mm -hmm. I mean there are a number of ways in which teachers are imprisoned by this sort of talking. And if you can just tease out that quality teaching, quality education, professionalism line, you're really getting into something there. As I said before, what happens too often, I would say, in the, in the public and in the educational debate about education is that you don't see the whole but focus on different aspects. And I think that's what you're pointing to, that, okay, when we're speaking about quality teachers, well, then we focus on one aspect of education that everybody can agree on that of course it's important to have good teachers well-educated teachers that have support in their work and uh, opportunities for professional development and of course also are held accountable for what they are doing 
I'll just jump in. I'll just jump in on your of course. Yeah. Of course, are held accountable. Mm -hmm. um, we do find internationally mm -hmm. that accountability does not mean the same thing to all people. Mm -hmm. And I think you've already referred to this in your opening. But um, if we can look at that fracturing of what accountability means, because of course teachers have to be accountable. You've already asked the question to whom, by whom, for whom. Mm. What is it you think we mean by that these days? Well, it leads me into to, to the, to the emphasis. I can't help thinking about it when, when you raise this question, that what we see from OECD surveys like, like TALIS, for example, and this is another issue you're very well aware of, is the increased emphasis on student performance as a dimension of teacher evaluation frameworks. And the OECD TALIS survey, which has a, a lot to offer in terms of uh, knowledge into what is actually going on in, in schools and, and, and among teachers, points out, and it is, this is one of the remarkable findings in the span from TALIS 2008 to 2013, that there is a remarkable, a very strong new emphasis on student performance in the appraisal and feedback that teachers get. And that means that that, that is part of a new emphasis in the way that, that teachers are being held accountable for their work as professionals. And I think what Talis shows us is that that's a very strong trend internationally and with the drive towards the use of data in teaching and learning globally, well, I think we will see that this trend will, will stay there. There will be an emphasis on, on student performance as one way of indicating the, the quality of, of the time that uh, students are having in schools and that feeds into the way that teachers are being evalu evaluated and the way that they are uh, being held accountable also. That is what Talis uh, shows us. I'll just jump in there, Tor, because I believe you've actually got a journal special edition coming out on mm. this very subject mm -hmm. about global perspectives on high-stakes teacher accountability policies. Do you think that it's going to cover this sort of material around the whole sort of um, meta and, and big data analysis machine mm. and what that spits out the other side? Very much. It's true that there will be a forthcoming special issue in the, in the peer-reviewed journal uh, Education Policy Analysis Archives, and the title of that is, special issue will be Global Perspectives on High-Stakes Teacher Accountability Policies. And I'm guest editing it along with Jessica Holloway from Kansas State University and, and Tony Verger from uh, Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona. If I can just, just uh, tell a bit about the background, because I think that relates to, to what we spoke about before. Why are we having such a special issue? It came out of that, that there's a very strong focus on VAM value-added modeling in the US. And this is a US-based journal. But we would like in this special issue to have a, adopt a global outlook on high-stakes teacher accountability policies. That means where high-stakes testing is being incorporated as a dimension into teacher evaluation frameworks. And that has taken to, let's say, there has been some pretty radical approaches in the U.S. about the way that value-added modeling has been incorporated into teacher evaluation frameworks and therefore into the ways that teachers are being held accountable as professionals towards colleagues, towards students, towards parents, 
and towards society as a whole. And there has been, a, I think it's fair to say, a pretty heated debate in the US about this way of holding teachers accountable uh, of their work and a very strong criticism. Um, and you can look at, for example, at the blog uh, edited by Ramrein Bursley, vanboozled.com, uh, where there's a, yeah, there's a, provides a fine overview of, of the current court cases in the US where teachers and teachers unions has filed cases against, um, against the authorities that has adopted particularly controversial forms of VAM, which is not just one model, but different models of incorporating statistical tools into the measurements of teachers' effectiveness. Um, and that is controversial in itself, of course, to put it in these terms. Um, but look at that excellent blog. It's, it's really interesting. But, and you know more about this than I do, I think, we know that value-added modeling has been discussed uh, in other places around the world. Well, it's been there in, the, in England, in particular, for some years. Uh, and there's quite a rich literature about it now. I think it will become richer in the years to come. But also elsewhere, um, I think you have cases here in EI about Spain and the Netherlands. Um, is that true? Yeah, we had a Spanish affiliate may um, raise this very issue at the OECD conference we held this year, that in Spain there is a renewed interest in looking at this clearly um, a, a system which is based on sand, as you pointed out, in the data frames and the way the data is tied to the individual. Mm. And, and there is also a wave passing through Holland, but it doesn't stop there. There are ways in which this is moving through Africa, through um, actors in all sorts of privatized environments that are causing mm -hmm. absolute mayhem for mm -hmm. teaching and for teachers because it does deprofessionalize. Um, I'd also like to go back to the idea, you started this section of our podcast talking about TALIS and then you moved into value-added measures. Mm -hmm. Now I'd just like us to differentiate for a second. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes a data set like TALIS different from a way of reading teacher uh, achievement like VAM because they're both big data sets, they're both dealing with teacher accountability one way or the other mm. and um, I'd just like us to think through and problematize that question for a second. Well that's indeed a, a very good question. First of all let's say that TALIS is about um, well bringing teachers voices into the debate, that's how the OCD likes to put it um, and of course the OCD has their purposes for, for bringing the, the, the voice of teachers into the debate. Uh, but it, that's interesting of course that, that the voice of teachers is there um, and not with a focus on student performance. I mean if you look at, there's a contrast between PISA and TALIS in this, in this way obviously. PISA focuses, uh, as we know, on student performance as assist according to on basis of, of the three literacies uh, primarily uh, coined in the OECD well TALIS is a survey so that's a major distinction and if we speak about the way that you are holding teachers accountable I mean TALIS, PISA, other international large-scale survey and assessment programs they are being used in all sorts of ways by countries around the world so it's not a one-way direction Definitely. I mean, it's not the OECD determining how 
teachers are being held accountable in particular countries around the world. They don't have that mandate. Um, it's taken in all sorts of various uh, directions. But it's clear that with the very strong emphasis that there is on PISA around the world, an emphasis made by, by national governments, I think you also see here in EI that has strong influence on how teachers are being held accountable in, in different countries, in particular context in, in, in different countries. Are you saying and, that's, and that's a negative tool? Because um, we do feel at EI that PISA has a lot to offer mm. and we do work in partnership with OECD mm. and are, as you pointed out in the TALUS data set, a very active and present voice at the table. Mm. We do struggle with the glass panel empiricism of PISA putting out these countrywide tables all over the world which tend to drive the debate in a negative direction. But that is not necessarily all that PISA is. Mm. Um, I'm just picking up on your, your negativity yeah. around PISA there, Tor, <laughs> and uh, I would like you to tease it out a bit. I wouldn't call it negativity towards PISA on my part because I believe that what we see in different countries, the ways that PISA is being used, it's used in all sorts of different ways. And it's basically a political question how it is being used. And it's not OECD dictating to countries, it's not within their mandate. Of course the OECD is influential in setting an agenda, but let's not forget that it's individual countries and the governments that, that actually create the particular teacher accountability policies. So PISA can be used for all sorts of, of things. And please let me just finish this link between PISA and TALIS before I get dig into your question really. Okay, so what TALIS shows, that, as, as I said before, was a new strong emphasis on student performance from TALIS 2008 to TALIS 2013, remarkable increases on the emphasis that teachers report that is being given to student performance in the way that they are given feedback and are being appraised across the countries that are participating in TALIS. It's easy to relate that. It seems obvious that that can be related to the strong influence that PISA has had in setting an agenda and the OECD offering a product to countries, governments, in countries are happy to, to, to pay for about the focus on student performance. That is also what is shining through in TALIS when it comes to the emphasis on feedback. I think that's, that's the link we can see there. But it's a myopic focus on student performance, I think, in some cases. And I would agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. I think that rise in appraisal points that are made, which you've mm -hmm. clearly pointed out, and uh, it, we will get back to this question, that there are a whole lot of ways in which appraisal is being used negatively to limit teacher autonomy, and there are ways in which the TALIS report on teacher professionalism, for example, would suggest mm -hmm. that teacher autonomy is absolutely critical to student success. So I think that chain, the logic chain, is, is not working between the one and the other. And I think you've worked quite a lot on logic change, so I don't know if you've got any other comments about that. Hmm. Uh, definitely I do. If you look to the work of, of Stephen Cleese, for example, who recently, earlier this year, wrote a, a very nice piece on, on causality, uh, chains uh, in educational research and a quite strong critique of programs like TALIS. Can you just explain causality for the listeners, please? Yeah, about the, the relations between cause and effect and what the programs like PISA and OECD is keen to point that out too in their PISA reports that okay what PISA does is not really uh, they're not really able to establish clear-cut causality chains connections between cause and effect there are loads of data obviously <laughs> rich data there's a lot to find 
describing the world in all sorts of ways and establishing correlations, but not causality, between different conditions. Let's say correlations between the ways that teachers are being held accountable in different countries and student performance. But what does it really say about causality? Is there a causality chain at work? Well, PISA is not able to show that. And I think one of the reasons why programs like PISA, like PILS, like PIAC, like TALIS has become so influential and popular to buy by national governments and also subnational governments. That is that these data can be used for all sorts of purposes. You have this flood of data with correlations. There's so much you can pick from. Well, we can use the word cherry picking. You can pick something that will fit your policy. And I think that's one of, one of the reasons why they're so popular. Whatever the color of your party, you will find something that will fit, that will fit your policy. So it does almost become a situation where this sort of causality and correlation and, and highly academic, academic approach and language, which is massively tracked through data sets and links which may or may not make sense in the whole of the big picture, are used to confound parents, to confound students, to confound teachers, into accepting certain policy platforms that a national government may want to push. If we dig into what is going on in, in, in different uh, countries around the world, I mean, I'm personally very critical about the uses of VAM and completely in line with people like Jesse Rothstein and Audrey Amra and Bursley that are critical towards the way that VAM has been used to hold teachers accountable, definitely. And, and does PISA say it's wrong or not? Like, do these, do these transnational data sets... Because I think the point you're making, Tor, and I'm just trying to uh, unravel a bit, yeah. is that you can use these data sets to prove anything, and that you can sit there and, and put forward a system like VAM, and because appraisal is mentioned, then you can say that a certain type of appraisal is okay. And we know from your paper that VAM actually undermines teacher professionalism, teacher autonomy, and the teacher's ability to get on with their job. So why aren't they saying this? Okay, well, that's a very good question. So OECD and the European Commission and the World Bank and so on, obviously political organizations, and they are trying to negotiate, uh, of course, very different interests. And what is particularly interesting when it comes to these international agencies that are influential on a global level in more or less subtle ways is that they are quite hesitant about endorsing value-added modeling. It's, it's very clear. That's good. It's, it's, it's been in there. OECD has written about it in a few reports, but it's quite clear that they are hesitant about endorsing it in European Commission document as far as I know it's not it's not there and what and, do the American Research Association say about them yeah that's one vital document for for unions and, and teachers actually in general to read around the world because that goes to the heart of the debate about how teachers are being held accountable and the use of statistical tools in that matter uh, the American Educational Research Association uh, published earlier this year I believe or maybe it was at the end of last year, a statement on the uses of VAM, of value-added modeling in the U.S. and cautioned, warned about the, let's say, exaggerated focus on the uses of VAM as a part of teacher evaluation, school and teacher evaluation frameworks. 
And I think it is remarkable that you have an elite of researchers who themselves, well, are experts in this particular school of research. They are warning against it. They themselves have a strong interest, of course, in this sort of research. And some of them critical, but many of them also have been working with it for, for, for many, many years. But look at that statement from the American Educational Research Association, and I believe it was in the, in the, in the journal Educational Researcher. You'll find it there. There's a couple of other things I'd like to pick up on. Mm. One, is there any legal cases in, in operation around VAM? And two, what are the points of resistance for teachers around these methods of appraisal and accountability that are out of keeping with their ability to do their jobs? Well, as I mentioned before, that uh, on that blog, vamboozled.com, you can find an overview of current court cases in the U.S., and we are looking to the U.S. here, and I'm sure you could make a very interesting study in, well, how is it that educational policy and evaluation frameworks are in the end designed in a country like the U.S.? It's very interesting that it ends up in the courts. But you can, you can find it there, and I believe there's been at least, I think it's 14 or 15 cases, and they've been there since, I mean, during the last five years, been ongoing there. Well, there are some interesting things to read about that and also interesting rulings and as I know, as far as I know, it's been going pretty much against the current uses of them in those court cases in the U.S. So a more critical approach to the different ways that VAM has been adopted in, in different states across the U.S. But please let me return to, I mean, you, you speak about the ways that teachers can engage as professionals. And I would like to point uh, to one uh, thing that I think is uh, remarkable and speaks about um, power relations in educational policy, the ways of determining education policy globally. If you look at the OECD and the European Commission, where all things equal, I believe in OECD countries in Europe, well, you have relatively strong unions in many countries. What we see in documents from the OECD and European Commission is they emphasize you need to get teachers on board when you want educational reform to work. It makes perfectly sense, of course. I think we can all agree, whatever sector we're speaking about, you need to have the professionals on board in some way or another. When we look at World Bank documents, and I think this is extremely important to take note of, speaking also about the UN Sustainable Development Goals that is now being rolled out and will be rolled out in the coming years, the World Bank has much, lay, much less to say about getting teachers on board. And I think that is a strong indication of the power relationships between those people, those organizations that represent teachers in some countries of the world and the power they have, they have been given and they're struggling to maintain. And then in other countries, in Africa, for example, where I believe, and I, uh, you know more about this than I do, well, where the union structure is not as strong as it is in the richer parts of the world. That's not necessarily true at all. We've actually got some incredibly strong unions in Africa. Okay. If I take the um, Kenyan National Union of Teachers as an example, mm -hmm. there are a number of ways in which African teachers um, collaborate, coordinate and, and stand against negative moves within education. Mm -hmm. We're actually working on a project around the breadth of learning there at the moment. Okay. And um, 
that is something that we do think we can work with teachers around empowering their ability to look at the system in a way which enables them to give feedback based mm. on their own perspective. And I think, as you say, that the, the World Bank is coming in and driving over the top mm. of nations' abilities mm. to actually take control of what's going on for themselves. And I, I think that's a very negative thing. I'd so, agree with you. So, you. so you take my point there that the World Bank and the policies that they're promoting in terms of the emphasis on that teachers should get on board of reform, well, it shows that there's a different relation between donors and recipients of donations as compared with OECD countries and European Union countries, which have a very, very different mandate and therefore also a very different basis on which to, to develop policies, including for teacher accountability and evaluation. I think that's a whole nother podcast talk, mm -hmm. and I think on that note, we will um, give you an opportunity to say anything else you want to about teacher accountability, and we will wrap it up there. Well, there's one thing that I would like to, to I think, I think the, the, the discussion we've had, uh, well, we brought up a, a lot of issues, obviously, but there, there's one issue that we haven't really spoken about, and that is the way that the role of education in society and for economic growth is, is often is often portrayed by politicians. Very often education is portrayed as the, the great equalizer in society. And I believe that sometimes teachers are being held as hostages in that way that when education is portrayed in, this, in that way, represented in that way, like David Berlina and, and others have written about since the 80s, it's, um, we know it's well established that it's factors outside of school that continues to be more influential for student outcome and success in school. Teachers have a role, that yes they do, but it's less. So when politicians like to say education is the great equalizer, for me I think it's, it's, it's somehow sidelining the debate about okay what can we do otherwise as politicians to, to create more equal societies, more healthy societies with a smaller divide between the very rich and the very poor. If you put it all in education, 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 that's the wrong way to, to, to frame it, in my opinion. We, we would agree with you that society is far bigger. We, of course, believe teachers are the most important thing, but that their role in constructing a society is one that fits in with the whole community and the whole nation. Um, we also believe that teachers are able to have an influence on more than just a student's results and, and I think that all their economic worth within the marketplace and I think you rightly point out that that the world has become interested in quite narrow frames of reference. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you Tor. You've brought some incredibly important issues to us and we would love to explore them in further depth in another podcast. Thank you. Enjoy today's podcast? Then don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest Ed Voices.